Everybody doing good? Yeah. Turn to your neighbor, say it's going to be a good message. Turn to your second choice, tell them it's going to be a really good message. You need it. Tell them, say you need it. <laughs> you can get your worship guys out and you can follow along. We're going to continue our series, Be a Champion. This is the second installment of the series. Uh, real quick, couple quick, uh, you know, plugs. One is, did uh, Pastor EWF Ernie Fry do a good job last week or what? Huh? Yeah. I call him E-Dog. E-Dog brought it, right? He brought it. The big gun brought it last week. So kicked off our series strong. I was listening to the message. I got goosebumps on a couple of the points and pretty pumped up. So thanks, Dad, for doing such a great job last week. Appreciate that. This is uh, the continuation of, of that. But before I go on to that, I just want to also just highlight... Uh, um, a special person in my life. Uh, without this person, I wouldn't be the man that I am. I couldn't do what I do. I wouldn't be standing here today. Uh, but it is my bride's birthday today. Can you just say happy birthday to my wife? Come on, give it up. She's, 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 uh, she's 31 today. We have four kids. One of them's 22. So, yeah. <laughs> Believe that. No. <laughs> she just stopped, you know, stopped getting older. Anyway, so, so grateful for my bride. Um, I'm going to get right into it, okay? So if, for those of you uh, who are new to Connect, like we do things in series and kind of unpack things a little bit at a time, like in layers, and, and, and today's uh, message is kind of to a, to a kind of a target audience. But I want to set the stage, kind of a little bit of context for this. And I'm going to use uh, some TV shows to kind of bring us back in time and then bring us to our present time. And I think, how many of you guys done, done a little bit of TV watching in your life? Oh, look, at a lot of liars in the house. Okay, we're in church, okay? How many watched television before? My gosh, you got like six of them in your house. You know what I mean? Honey, we need one in the garage. You know what I mean? Like you, you have a disconnect from room to room if there's not a TV in it. It's crazy. Anyway, um, I can remember watching certain TV shows, and, and I'm going to talk a little bit about generations today and, like, where we were, where we are, so you can kind of know why I'm doing this. But how many remember the Waltons? Anybody? I'm going way back, okay, the Waltons. An entire family living under one roof. Like, we're talking grandma, grandpa, you know, uh, all the way down the line to the, to the kids. You know, some of them, you know, get married, move to stay in the same house. I can remember, you know, watching the show, my favorite parts of the show is kind of how it always ended. All the lights, click, 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 would go off. Then there's no lights on. You're just looking at their great big house. Somebody remember this? And then a good night, John boy, you know. <laughs> I think it was whatever her name was, the little one. Um, and she would say goodnight, John. How many, Little House on the Prairie, remember that? Uh, you know, the Ingalls family, you know, that was back when kids did chores. Come on, somebody. Kids did chores. Woo. <laughs> Felt the Holy Ghost on her. Kids did chores back then and smiled about it. You know what I'm saying? Work from dawn to dusk. Yes. Could preach a sermon on that. Then uh, Andy Griffin show. Andy Griffin, remember that? All right, you guys probably could all whistle the song right now. <laughs> We'd all go there, right? Don Knotts, wicked funny guy. Love that guy. Um, same time frame. This was early '60s, so this is like mid '60s to late '60s is when all this came out. But it ran for a long, long time. But it seemed like it wouldn't fit in this particular era. But there was a real preoccupation with kind of sci-fi. Lost in space. Anybody remember Lost in Space? 
the Robinson family, you know what I mean? There was a girl in there I thought was hot. I remember when I was a, like just elementary kid or something, you know what I mean? I remember this, the, the robot, warning, warning, Will Robinson, warning, 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 warning. It was the ugliest robot ever. It looked like a microwave on wheels. And then um, another, another side was the Adams family. Remember the Adams family? You know, it was just that was out in the late '60s too. They're creepy, they're kooky, they're mysterious and spooky all together. Hooky, the Adams family. I did a lot of television. You know what I'm saying? Um, and uh, then the number one family show in America to date, Happy Days. Come on, somebody, if you walk Happy Days. You know what I mean? Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Everybody, you know. And then the Fonz and the whole hair thing, and we all love that. Um, Great, great show. Family values are being communicated all the time. Then you got the Brady Bunch, right? Here's a story. Everybody know? Okay, right. Some of you know that, some of you don't. Cosby's. How many remember the Cosby's? The Huxtables, you know? Bill Cosby, chocolate. You know, I could, I could do a whole bunch of stuff, you know? Pudding pops. Anyway. Uh, then you've got, you know, the soul, the soul TV show. You got uh, uh, Good Times, J.J. Dynamite. You know what I mean? He was like a human X-ray with a little meatball on his, on top. Uh, you know, a little toothpick. And then you got the Jeffersons. You know, uh, that I love that particular show. Well, we're moving on up to the east side to a deluxe apartment. I'm gonna keep going in the sky. Well, we're moving on up. Then you got different strokes, different strokes, change the world. Uh, the number two most popular family show in all of history, Fresh Prince. Come on, somebody. How many watch Fresh Prince? Raise your hand. Raise your hand, Fresh Prince. Okay, that's the probably multi-generational, still being watched today. I bet there's tons of you that are watching that show, you know. Western Philadelphia, born and raised. Remember that, you know. Playing b-ball on the basketball courts where I spend most of my days. You guys know the song. You could probably all do that. Facts of life. That's kind of uh, niche. You know, you take the good, you take the bad. Facts of life. Full house. Anybody full house? Full house is a big one. I'm bringing it. I'm bringing it along. Here it comes. We're coming into our generation. All right, you got the nanny. Uh, you got, uh, how many watch Reba? Reba. Okay, so she's a divorcee. Um, you know, um, husband cheats on her, uh, marries the girl that he cheats on with, moves in right across the street. They all become friends. See some changes going on in the world today. That was different. Uh, growing pains. Anybody remember growing pains? All right. Show me that smile again. Show me that smile. My wife's doing it. You guys probably don't remember the song. All right. Was, that was with uh, Kirk Cameron, wasn't it? Kirk Cameron. Uh, then you got my favorite, my favorite, next to Fresh Prince, Family Ties. How many watch Family Ties? Michael J. Fox. Oh, my gosh. Love this guy. Unbelievable. You know, uh, the guy, just great stories, great messages on that. Well, I've been, we, I bet we've been together for a million years. And I bet we stay together for a million more. And then it goes on the course, what do we do, baby? Remember that? Without us. And then, then it goes, sha-na-na-na. Who sings sha na na Well, they were sha na na But anyway, that's another show altogether. We won't go there. Um, you guys, doesn't that bring back a lot of memories, right? These, these TV shows. And some of you didn't, you know, get to go through some of that. We'll pray for you after. That's why we're here at church. is here to minister to people. Bleeding, hurting world. That's why we exist. 
But in all these examples, we know and love and can temporarily recall, uh, you know, some of the things that were being purported, you know, through this. You know, um, a lot of the cultural trends, you know, and things that were happening, you know, uh, would show up through the TV, through, through the media. And um, you could see some of these shifts. And, and, and what was, let's just, say, let's just say this, what was normal then is not necessarily normal now. What's normal now was not necessarily normal then, relative then, not necessarily relative now. Things have changed, and, and the ideals that we promoted and exposed um, back then are not some of the ideals that we, prom- we promote and, and espouse so much today. The truths that we accepted is absolute, not necessarily so much absolute today. And, and here's my point in all this, and I'm not going to get necessarily into you know, what you would believe in family, what you believe regarding raising loved ones, child-rearing, teen development, uh, morals and mores. You might, we might all have a lot of differences on that whole thing. But you have to agree, back then to now, things have changed a lot. Yes or no? Yes. Things have changed a lot. And more, more what I want to report to you today is I want to focus on some of the majors, because we don't major in the minors, we major in the majors. We're not here to try to make a point, we're here to try to make a difference. But why do those things kind of change from a, even over the course of a generation? And some of us may think that um, images and just the mere transfer of information is enough to pass truths on from one generation to the next. Some may think it's enough to move you, uh, the, the things that you believe, the absolutes you held true, it's enough to do that through just images and information that, that TV can teleport truth. It can't. I'm just here to tell you it can't. There are things that we believed that can slip right through our fingers in, in, a, in just a generation. You say a generation, that's a long time. It's really not a long time. It's really not. In short, I don't believe images and information are a guarantee that anything will remain constant in culture. And, and it's through, it's actually, I believe, through interaction. And it's actually through intimate exchange, primarily through people, that we guarantee that truth passes from one generation to the next. And I believe we, editorially, we are responsible to make sure that happens. And there are many truths that should be passed on. There are some that maybe have changed or need to be tweaked in their approach. But there's one truth, the truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ that remains and should remain that needs to be passed on from one generation to the next. And and that's something that should not change. In Malachi 3, 6, the Bible says, I am the Lord, I change not. So if there's anybody need to be doing some changing, it's going to be on this side of the equation in the relationship between God and man because it's man that needs to sometimes make the changes. In Psalm 33:11, I don't think it's in your notes, but it says the counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. So his heart is to, is to bring his counsel to other generations. But we are, we are that transport agent. We're the ones that make that, in fact, possible. This is the big idea. It's in your worship guides, is that we're one generation from the extinction of the truth, the truth. Some truth, small t, but definitely the truth, capital T, meaning the gospel. But we're only one, listen, I believe this with all my heart. You don't have to believe this, but we're only one generation from the total expansion of it throughout the entire world. While there's an incredible threat to our culture, there's an incredible opportunity at the same time. Can I have an amen or an oh me or just something out there, okay? So through this one generation, I believe, the truth can come through this one generation uh, and change everything. Truth... um, is also one generation away from breaking generational curses, for example. Uh, I don't know what you know about that. I don't know what you believe about that. But I believe that 
my father and mother, in some cases my wife and I, are instrumental in breaking a curse, curses, I should say, not even just one, from being passed on to other generations. It's, it's critical sometimes the things that, that we fight for in the day-to-day that we don't realize have implications that I just believe are generational, sometimes certainly eternal in many respects. But you can be doing something right now in this generation that can break curses. You know, maybe it's uh, whatever, a suicide, for example, in our family line. Divorce, depression, rage and anger. Poverty, those are some of the curses that right now can be broken in this generation. So while you're facing an incredible problem, trial, difficulty, circumstance in your life, while that is maybe the hardest it's ever been, it has the most possibility and opportunity that it's ever had at the same time. And so, but when it comes to like the gospel, the most important thing that brings about true and lasting change from the inside out, we cannot assume truth. We can't assume truth. What I mean by that is we cannot assume the gospel um, will, will just be passed on. If, if we assume truth, it becomes confused, it becomes irrelevant, ultimately it can become eliminated or extinct. Psalm 71:18. look in your notes, this is what it says. Even when I'm old and gray, this is talking about our responsibility, even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the what? Next generation. Your mighty acts to all who are to come. So we have a responsibility to pass on what we believe and have acquired in our relationship with God to the what? The next generation. That's our responsibility. Psalm 45 says, I'll make you famous for generations. You'll be the talk of the town for a long, long time. We believe this with all our heart at Connect that we're called to uh, know God but also to make him known. That a relationship with him uh, is a uh, personal decision but never meant to be a private matter. That it's something that is supposed to be, uh, we're supposed to be a light on a hill. We're supposed to stand out in, in our world. And I believe, I believe in particular, and I want to tailor my remarks mostly to the next generation. You got to see some of the, the up-and-comings with all their energy and enthusiasm and some of the most critical, uh, I'm so proud of this church and churches that invest in vacation uh, 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 Bible school type programs because uh, some of the, the, the statistics, actually 60, I think it's, I sent you the article, honey, but 67% of Protestant churches do uh, VBS programs. So it's a very high percentage. Uh, but just about 15 years ago, 10 to 15 years ago, it was in the low 80s. So there's been a decline. But the impact of Vacation Bible School is because most children are making a decision to become a follower of Christ before the age of 13. It used to be 18, but now it's 13. It's so critical to be to invest in the next generation in particular, not just in their character development, but in their core beliefs. And seeing that they actually have a, uh, established not a religion but a relationship with Christ and they are capable of doing it and seeing that thing foster at an early age. Are you tracking with me? But I want to talk to the little bit older group. I wanna, I'm, I'm kind of addressing the age bracket from, say, sixth grade kind of on up to the mid-20s. If you want to get in on this blessing or this kind of message, I think it's an all play. But I'm really targeting that next generation. Some of the kind of, you know, there's a little bit of the Gen Y, uh, not so much the Gen X, but Gen Y to the most current generation that we're talking about now. I want to invest in that, and I believe in that generation. Um, I've seen all my kids, you know, and uh, how important it is to be able to invest in my wife and I spend a lot of time with young people, and, and, and we spend a lot of time with our own kids, and we have done that for a long, long time, and, and we've taken on a more um, paternal and maternal role within the church. We call the church a spiritual family. Have you ever heard us call that 
before, spiritual family. So it has to operate much like a family where you have brothers and sisters. And we talked about this a few weeks ago, the different things that unite us. And so we function, in a lot of cases, we can't have the same investment or the same responsibility, but we function a lot of times like a mother-father figure to people, which is how the church is supposed to operate. That is not exclusively a responsibility of the pastor and the pastor's wife. That's a responsibility of anybody with any maturity that's beyond the generation that I'm targeting this morning. Does that make sense? We all should have big brother, big sister, kind of mom and pop roles. The Bible talks about this a lot in Scripture, in Titus and Timothy, etc. If you need text for that, I can show you those later. But it's really important to be able to be that. So I'm kind of like Papa D more than I am Pastor D to a lot of people that are Mama D, things like that. And so we like to spend time. And this message uh, kind of... Uh, uh, you know, was refined during the mission trip that we were on just recently in the DR. And I was with a group of young people there, um, ages like 15 to 26-ish, something like that. And, and they were, I just want to say this, they were stinking awesome. Um, they don't ever go to sleep, so that part stinks really bad when you're in your 40s. And, uh, and so they'd, we'd like try to get them to go to bed. They wouldn't go to bed for the life of me. But, you know, because of a cause and because of a call, they get up in the morning, which was amazing to me. Um, I just wasn't sure they'd be able to do that. But I see the next generation that I'm talking about different than sometimes I think the world or sometimes even the church sees it. I see the next generation like the Navy SEALs of Christianity. I mean, th- I watched them. I watched them minister. Whew. You, can't, you can't believe the potential until you see it in action. But you have to invest in it to see it. You have to pray for it to see it come to fruition. You have to give opportunity for it to actually become a reality. And uh, my son was talking about this Friday night with 85 young adults downstairs in the Lord Auditorium, their first young adult service ever just young people worshiping God on a Friday night. On a Friday night when they could have been doing something else. And he says, you know, this generation has passion. This generation has energy and enthusiasm. And, and that enthusiasm, you know, when it's directed with a cause and with a call is incredible. Anyway, I had several conversations over the course of the year with different young people. And, and, and different things come out of it where I, I keep coming back to these same points of counsel and, and advice and things like that. And I, I kept journaling some of these things. And I came up with kind of like five to seven different points. And I'm only going to teach three of them today, so don't get, don't get scared. But I thought... I thought about this. I thought, you know, if, if these people, if, if these kids were actually my actual kids, what would be the advice that I would give them to help them actually be successful? And, and as it relates to the series, be a champion in this generation. Because this generation, th- that, this world and culture that we're amidst is very, very difficult. Because they're facing, and you, you may not even realize that some parents, we're, we're just tuned out. We don't even know what's going on. Like, your kids are so plugged in, and we're not plugged in at all. They're facing some of the greatest temptations in the history of humanity, literally inundated on a uh, almost minute-to-minute basis. But at the same time, and I think this is important for young people to know as well as those that are listening, I believe we're standing toe-to-toe with the greatest opportunities of all time as well. For the world to be changed more than ever before. And I believe this generation is the most positioned. I believe it's the most creative, the most driven, the most opportunistic, the most connected globally. I actually believe they're the most advanced intellectually. They can process and do more things in a shorter period of time faster than, than we ever could. And all you have to do is just, just, just watch how many things they can do at one time with excellence. It's mind-boggling. It's absolutely mind-boggling. And God wants to do great things through this generation. Amen? 
But, but the world sometimes sees a doom and gloom message. For example, this is way back in the book of Judges. I think it's in your notes. And then I'm going to contrast it with kind of a lens that I think God wants us to look through, a New Testament lens, a new deal, new perspective. But in the Old Testament, there was a generation that was following God, and then there was another generation that came after them and that fell away. Judges 2.10 says, After the whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. And then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. In other words, what was good in one generation wasn't necessarily guaranteed in the next. Does that make sense? But does it make sense, yes or no? I know it's hot in here, but I'm just going to get it hotter in here. Is that okay, everybody? All right, so Ephesians 3.20 says this, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine, according to the power that's at work within us. So his unlimited power, the Bible is saying, can be limited by us, right? But what I love about this next verse is it says, To him be the glory in the church. Everybody say, in the church. And in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. God wants this power at work in us to be passed on through the church from generation to generation to generation. Amen? That's what he's looking to do. And I want to give three guidelines for being kind of a champion in this generation. Again, this is just some good old advice, more or less. Nothing super profound, but I think it's very, very helpful. And maybe save somebody's life physically or practically or emotionally or relationally. Here's the first point. Number one, practice selective hearing. Practice (laughs) selective hearing. Now, all the wives laugh because they know somebody in their world, in their relationship that's very close to them that is very good at doing this, right, wives? That's your husband, isn't it? Right. Yeah, you you can be telling them stuff and they're not hearing you at all, right? How many wives know what I'm talking about? Can I have an amen from the wives out there? Yeah, it's funny. So to to all the wives, it's funny. To all the men, it's like, that's not funny. But kids do this too. I think it's innate. I think we grow up with an ability sometimes to do this. My kids have this incredible ability to tell from the... The tone and, and, the, and the approach and the nonverbal, if I'm going to ask them for something that has assignment behind it, that includes work. <laughs> hey, kids, uh, dad needs to come here for a second. Come here. They'll drag their feet. They won't even hear. They, I'll go downstairs. They fake being asleep, you know, like possums. Uh, it's unbelievable. But based, if I said something else and Stacey and I wanted to tell them, hey, we're going to think we're going to do a family day trip or would you guys like to go out to dinner or let's go get an ice cream or something like that. I don't even have to say all those things. I can just say, hey, kids, come here. I wanna, Mom and Dad, I want to tell you something. It's like they can pick up on it. Yes, sir. They're all right there. They had this amazing ability to kind of select, you know, based on tone and good listening and whatever. So here's the idea that we want to develop this skill in the right places, okay? And here's something you can put in your notes. It's not, it's kind of, you know, it's just basic. But right voices lead to right choices. Right voices lead to right choices. Some of you, and I don't know how to say this nicely, I really don't, but some of us have friends, young generation, listen to me, who are just plain stupid. Just, just, just do some stupid stuff. You know, uh, the Bible says a companion of fool suffers harm. He who walks with the wise grows wise. I, 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 they may not be able to help it that they're that way, but you can help it by not listening to them. <laughs> there you go. I just, there's nearly nothing else to say about that. It's, it's crazy to me how sometimes we'll listen to our buddies, our girlfriends that we've known for like, you know, two weeks, you know. We have, girls, you have girl, you have best BFFs. They say, how long have you known that girl? So, uh, six minutes. 
Your BFF on Facebook already, you know what I mean? My new BFF. You guys, we just went on one trip to the mall, and we're best friends. And then we're listening to advice from that person. But the person who brought you into this world, the fruit of, you know, your loins and womb, you know, we won't listen to. Come on, parents, can I get a parental amen? Amen. And then we have a hard time listening sometimes, you know, to them. It's incredible to me. And and, and I was in that situation. I can remember when I was... um, my best friend in college, uh, uh, we, our relationship morphed to a better place than this, but basically we had this unwritten, I love you unconditionally, you can do whatever the heck you want kind of relationship, which a lot of people have. That's not a healthy relationship. We should love each other unconditionally, but we should have relational conditions with each other. We should be provoking and challenging each other to grow, stimulating each other to, to, to love God and to do good works. I mean, that's really what the Bible talks about that a ton. So we had this relationship, and there was this particular girl that I was interested in. It's a little awkward because my wife's in the house, but she knows this story. But there's a particular girl that I was sort of interested in, and I was convinced I could never get that girl to go out with me. And you know what? It's probably good because she probably was, uh, I probably shouldn't have gone out with her. And, but you know what? I, I told my friend about it. My friend says, I'll tell you how to get her. This is what you need to do. And so he started strategizing about how I could kind of, you know, like how I could conquer this, this big problem, this challenge, you know. This is what you need to do. This is what you need to say. And, you know, and basically I was a creeper for like, you know, three weeks. You know what I mean? I like, you know, we'd be in the library and I'd like come out. I'm like, excuse me. Oh, excuse me. You know, I like set up all these kind of arrangements where I bump into her and stuff like that. So anyway, I finally get her to go out with me. And, and uh, it's not going so well, you know, but, you know, everybody on the outside is like, you guys are perfect together. It's awesome, you know, blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. Anyway, things progress. We get into a dating relationship. Um, and, and then, um, but, but along the way, my parents are giving me kind of like warning signs about her. They eventually meet her. My mom meets her in particular. I can remember her not being too excited about this particular person. She ends up moving. She ends, she ends up moving. <laughs> she ends up moving during the summer up here between semesters and lives up here. Well, that, was, that, that really freaked my parents out big time, right? So they start telling me I'm shutting it down, turning down the volume, turning down the volume, turning down the volume. So uh, meanwhile, my friends, oh, you guys are perfect. Oh, you guys are perfect. She's awesome. She's awesome. People that love me, people that care about me, whoop, 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 turning that down, turning that down. One day my mom goes shopping, which she's done since 1946 consistently. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm, that is no exaggeration. She's shopping, and while she's out shopping, she goes out to lunch. She goes to lunch to Uno's Pizzeria. She walks into Uno's Pizzeria, and she sees my girlfriend sitting there with another guy. Just so happens. Just so happens. What are the chances of that, that the people you love come across the people that they're concerned about in your life? Do you know how often those kind of things happen, and we still do what? Woo! So my mom comes back, she, she's, hon, I'm begging you, I'm begging you. you, I'm telling you, she got a problem. You know, oh, no, no, we talked about that, you know, she explained, basically, she just explained it off, whoo, you know, idiot! I can't even tell you how that whole relationship exploded and imploded and caused all kinds of damage. That was completely unnecessary if I could have listened to counsel, if I could have had selective hearing. Why is it so often that we don't listen to the people who love us most? But we listen to people who sometimes don't care about us really at all. They're more, they're more interested in what the benefits that they can provide for themselves. I was thinking about this while I was reading my Bible, and, uh, which I recommend, by the way, from time to time is that you read your Bible. It's a joke. You should read it a lot. But there was this young man, and his name was Rehoboam. Everybody say Rehoboam. Great kid's name. You guys can name your kid after you know, that. Rehoboam. Good girl's name. 
Rehoboam. Anyway, joking. But anyway, Rehoboam was the son of Solomon, who was, in, who was the, the, the wealthiest king, the most famous king, and the wisest man who ever lived. And, and, and this, uh, Solomon, uh, you know, gave the succession of his kingdom to his son. Um, and and uh, Rehoboam, was a, as he became king, as a very young king, he had this dilemma as a king. And the people came to him. They asked him to kind of lighten up the demands that Solomon had put on them uh, financially and, phys- and uh, physically as well. And so there was kind of this like tax burden. And so they came to him. They're like, can you, can you kind of, you know, your dad was great. He was awesome. But uh, maybe you could kind of just kind of lighten the load. Like they were looking for kind of like a middle class tax break. They were looking for, for a little, you know, lessen some of this forced labor issue that's going on here for a season. And so Rehoboam calls his father's advisors to him in, the, in his early kind of uh, reign, you know, and he pulls them in because, you know, they got the most experience, and he asks them, should I give them their request? Should I, or should I kind of get up in their face? Should I be strong with them? Should I put my foot down? Should I, what should I do? And, I, and what, what his father's advisors tell him and what older advisors told him is what older advisors always do in principle. Basically, they, as, 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 as he asked them this, should I, should I give them a request? The old advisors tell him what I think older advisors often do. Tell, they, they tell him to go for the short-term gain. No, to avoid the short-term gain for the long-term benefit. Are you tracking with me? Here's what, here's what you should do. They said that basically give the people a little bit of grace. This is kind of paraphrased. Right now, and then they'll serve you faithfully for your entire reign. Short-term decision, long-term implications. That's how they advise them. So he sends them away. Then he calls in his new buddies, his new advisors. And they're kind of like, yeah, we're the new advisors. You know, they kind of come in. They got a strut. They got their swag going. They're, they're, something's going on in the chemistry because you can tell by what they're saying. I don't know if they just watched UFC 123 last night or they're up, you know, just pumped themselves full of testosterone. But they're all coming in kind of strong. He asked them the same question. And basically, they say to him, you know what you should tell them? This is what you should tell them. You should tell them that, that my finger is bigger than my dad's waist. You, you should tell them that. Tell them my finger is bigger than my dad's waist. Yeah, 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 tell them that. Then, then, then if they don't get that, you, you know what else you should tell them? You should tell them, my dad beat you people with whips. I'm going to beat you with scorpions. That's what he says, which makes no sense, by the way. Has anybody ever imagined what it would be like to be beaten by a scorpion? Bit by a scorpion, but I don't know how you get, you know, how do you get beaten? Anyway, it's just kind of weird. It's kind of Bloody gory, just plain ultraviolet. It's weird. So Rehoboam has a decision. Do I take the short-term advice, you know, of my advisors, my buddies, or do I listen to the counsel of my fathers? So 2 Chronicles 10 says this, look in your notes, but Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him. Rehoboam rejected the elders' advice and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and who were serving him. So this is what happened. The kingdom was devastated for years. It was years and years and years of devastation and difficulty because of that one decision. Because he wouldn't practice selective hearing. Because he wouldn't listen to the right voices. The wrong voices lead to wrong choices. And you can spend years and years and years trying to repair the damage that can be done from one wrong decision. Because we won't listen to the wrong voices. My advice to the next generation is practice selective hearing. Most times these wrong voices, they don't have your best interest in mind. They don't really care. 
necessarily about you. You know the right voices. The right voices are the ones that will tell you what you, what you need to hear but don't necessarily want to sometimes. They're willing to risk even uh, their reputation, sometimes risk your rejection in a lot of cases. And sometimes there may be a, a period of there was kind of smarting between the two of you, but they're still there at the end of that, those kind of people. They're still there because they really care about you. My father used to say, love will tell you your breath stinks. Turn to your neighbor and say, love will tell you your breath stinks. <laughs> say, by the way, your, your breath kind of does. No, I'm just kidding. I don't say that. I don't say that. <laughs> Here's a tic-tac. Um, but a lot of times we have a problem with that. We, we don't have to listen to everyone's opinion. Do you guys realize that? We don't have to listen to every opinion that's out there. In fact, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we're listening to so many opinions. I think about this. Through the, I knew a guy that just got addicted to the Internet, just listening, reading, listening, reading, listening, reading, listening, reading. You know, his brains were falling out. Literally. He was so messed up. Some of you are so open, your brains can fall out. Just ask. You don't have to, you don't have to accept everybody's uh, Facebook friend request. You don't have to. You don't have to follow everybody on Twitter, and you don't have to listen to everybody's opinion. Practice selective hearing. It's amazing how many tales and how many uh, of tragedy, uh, people who went off track, people who got offline, usually the story begins, whether they're in addictions, whether they're in prison, whether they're in prison emotionally, whether they're in some kind of relational train wreck or whatever it is. How did it all begin? Well, it all began when, uh, you know, with this friend I had. That's how it always, somehow it starts with the relationship. The greatest regrets in your life always sometimes started with a relational problem. How did you get there? Well, it all started with this friend that I had. That's why we need the right kind of friends around us, cultivating, listening to, communicating, keeping them in our circle of trust. It shouldn't be a huge circle. It should be a small circle of people that we trust who care about us and, and, and want to see us uh, become champions for Christ. Amen? Amen? The Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. But the fool does what seems to be right to him, but the wise listen to advice. Okay, my next point is this. Find your sound and play it loud. Everybody say, find your sound and play it loud. When a band comes into our, into our, onto the scene, you know, through, through media or whatever, they become, um, and they become like a forerunner, like a frontrunner, you know, in, in the entertainment industry. One of the reasons why that band becomes like a frontrunner or a forerunner uh, is because they have a special, significant, or they have a different sound. That's what everybody's looking for when it comes to music is, who's the latest, what's the latest sound, what's the person with a unique Sound, the ones that are successful, the ones that you want to follow, the ones you want to listen to, the ones you want to kind of uh, promote and, and uh, tell others about. Some of you remember, and I'm dating myself here, some of you remember this, but you remember the, you know, when, when the Beatles came over from London, you know, to the United States and they performed at the Ed Sullivan Theater, you know? I can remember the TV shows of this. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't really as connected to this, but, but the, the, I can remember watching the, the videos of the, of the girls screaming and fainting. You know, because of the, some of you are looking like you don't know what I'm talking about. Some of you were those girls. <laughs> ah, you know, just crazy. But the Beatles had this specific sound, that, and they played it loud. You know, um, take it a step further. You can remember the, the times in, in, when, when, when Michael Jackson came on the scene, you know? And, and here's this guy who's got these moves, these dance moves that I won't do it, so don't worry, because uh, I don't want to cause anybody to stumble. Uh, <laughs> Just kidding. But uh, it's a joke. It's a joke. But I can't do him. But um, used to be able to. But um, but he. <laughs> Shut up. Um, 
Michael Jackson. He had these moves nobody else had. He dressed like, like a person from a different world, right? He, he made himself look like somebody that he wasn't, but, but he had a different sound, a different style, and, and, he, and he played that loud, and people were drawn to that. Even, even, broken, even in their brokenness, you know, speaking of brokenness, you speed forward and you think about this is more, you know, uh, current. But I think it was 1994 when Kurt Cobain, you know, took his own life. And he's married to Courtney Love. How many remember the lead singer for Nirvana, right? Uh, he, he, had a, he was like a voice to a generation, that grunge band style. He can take the anger and the hurt and the pain and he can merge it with some of the, with some of the, the heart and the passion that people wanted. And he did it in such a, just such a pronounced and specific and personal way. And people... People just, you know, crazy about that guy, right? That's kind of the world's um, uh, testimony to how important it is to have and find your sound and play it loud. It's critical. But it's amazing to me how often in the church and how often in Christianity, how often we try to mass produce uh, mediocrity, how we try to, to clone and, and replicate the same thing someone else is doing over and over again. I've been, I've been guilty of this. Instead of trying to customize and maximize the individual calling and uniqueness of each person that God made in his image and in his likeness, but at the same time, we are all different and unique. I'm not getting as many amens as, as I should out of this particular point, but God uses individuals who knew their sound and played it loud. If the, the world's figured it out, but they don't have Christ at the, at the center and at the foundation of your, their life. But there were people throughout Scripture who figured that out. John the Baptist was just such a person. Guy lived kind of a weird life out in the wilderness, locust and honey, dressed, you know, like in loincloths, just weirdness. But the Bible says that, that there was no man born among women who was a greater prophet than John the Baptist. Jesus said that himself. He was incredible. He was a freak, but he was incredible. Samson was one of the few people in the entire human history whose birth was announced and his strength surpassed any man in human history. He was a freak of nature, but he was, but he was, he was a standout. He knew his sound and he played it loud. He was incredibly intelligent and, and clever and witty and he wasn't just strong. He wasn't just a, a dumb, brawny man. He was very, very wise and, and, and he had an Achilles heel, but, but he, was, he knew his sound and he played it loud. And you can see this throughout the Bible, different people, you know, uh, Daniel and Nehemiah and different ones. Even David, when he fought Goliath, think about this whole thing. He couldn't defeat or face his future until he embraced his uniqueness. Saul tried to get him to put on his own armor. And I'm sure he took a couple laps with that armor and realized, swung the bat a few times before he realized, this is not me. I cannot be who somebody else. I cannot live in someone's sickness. I cannot live somewhere else. I have to live in where God has called me to live, be who God's called me to be. I have to give me my rocks. Give me my sling. If you want me to face that Goliath and that giant in my life, then I need my rocks and I need my sling. He knew his sound and he played it loud. And a lot of us, we, we're trying to make Johnny a nice boy. And we're trying to make sure that he doesn't go too far that way. Sometimes we don't need to stop. We just need to steer them. A lot of times in the church, we're saying, no, no, no. And we should say, yes, but hold on, hang on, you know, t tighten this up. Okay, okay, go, go, go. But a lot of times we're like, no, no, no. 
And we're stifling the hand of God and the work of God in their life. And you got to stop trying to figure out next generation and people who are guiding them and coaching them. Stop trying to get them to fit in and try to get them to stand out. God uses, listen, throughout the whole Bible and throughout the whole world, he uses geeks, freaks, and uniques. That's who he uses. And you need to start being a little bit more weird, a little bit more. If you're a geek, go for it. Okay, if you're just some kind of freakish skill, I don't know, I look at some of you guys with music, I look at some of you guys with athletics, I look at some of you people with your artistic qualities or whatever, you need to go all out with that. And we need to wake up as a church and get behind that and let them go in their uniqueness because that's where we defeat the enemies that are facing us in our life. I can remember in seminary, can you tell them a little worked up? I'm breaking a sweat. I don't really care, okay? So I did, about, I did a lot of hours of seminary when I was in ORU, and I remember taking this one class. It was called Sermon Prep and Practice Preaching. And I started preaching when I was 17 years old. My dad gave me a chance to start preaching when I was 17, so I've been preaching for, for a long time. Um, and I, but anyway, I got up one day to speak in this particular class, and, and what they would do is they would evaluate you after you were done speaking. And I got up there, and I just kind of did what I did, all right? I just do what I do even now. And, and I'm not, I needed some training, and I needed some tweaking. Don't get me wrong, but there was a gift there, okay? There was a gift. It's kind of like singing. I, I, I didn't earn that. I didn't, like, work for it. I just had it. Like, I'm not saying I win American Idol, but I'm not going to paint the, you know, strip the paint off the walls when I sang, like some people, all right? I don't, so, so it was just a gift, right? So I got up there, and I just did my thing. I hope this is coming through the right way. And so after the class, you know, after the, 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 the message, people got to evaluate me. While we were going through the message, there were certain criteria that the professor gave me, and he picked the hardest scripture for me because he didn't like me. I was convinced he didn't like me. I'm still convinced he didn't like me. So, and, and, and he said, at certain points in, the, in, in your sermon, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a countdown clock. And he didn't do that for everybody. He did it for me. So he's trying to disrupt my flow because I'm kind of a flow person, kind of a rhythm person and, and things like that. So, he, so every minute he's just saying two minutes, you know, three minutes, four minutes, whatever. And then when it got to 60 seconds, I was ready for him. I had a 60-second message windup that I was going to do. And, it was, and I'm not going to take you through the message, but it, just, it was about a plane that was coming out of the sky. And just imagine this and the, you know, the, the, the oxygen you mastered to fall. What would you do in that situation? How would you, it was just this cool, creative thing that God gave me, right? And everybody in the whole, as soon as he said 60 seconds, bam, I had them all right there. They were listening. About 10 guys that were going to be pastors got saved. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but it, it was good, okay? It was good. And at the end of that, you know, I kind of like sat down. I was like, yeah, you know, what do you think about that? You know, kind of sitting a little bit kind of cocky, to be honest with you. And um, I remember people saying great stuff. But the professor, he said, Derek, one piece of advice I want to give you, bef- you know, uh, before you leave today. You, don't ever think you're going to go into the ministry and be successful if you're going to speak to people like that. And, and I was ticked. I'm still ticked. But, uh, <laughs> You know, you know what? And he might have been right in some particular areas, and, and, and there were certain points that probably that I needed to hear. But thank God I didn't listen to that voice. Amen. Thank God I listened to trusted voices. Right voices lead to right choices. Thank God I listened to people who embraced my uniqueness, tried to make sure that you find your voice and, and speak your voice. Thank God I listened to people. They embraced my uniqueness. Maybe they, there were some things about me that needed to change, but overall they embraced my uniqueness. Where people, I can remember people saying to me, you know, you just got this one-two punch thing that you do, Pastor. You go, bam, and then you go, ha-ha-ha, and you go, bam, and then you kind of, ha-ha, and you just have this humor, and then you just kind of have this, bam, too. And, and, that, and that's how it's always been my whole life. It's been like that. 
Thank God I didn't listen to the wrong voices. And I want to say to you, you have to listen to the right voices if you want to get the right results. We can't be afraid to be different. And i gotta, I got I to gotta live the sound that's inside of me and play it loud, and you got to do the same thing. Because what we have is we have a generation that turns out like this guy right here. How many remember Mr. Potato Head? This is what people are doing in our culture today, and this is what happens in Christianity. People are going around, and they're wanting to listen to the newest sound. And so they're going to this concert, and they're going to this church, and they're going to this, they're going to this venue. And they're, what are they looking for? They're looking for the latest sound. Forget about the latest sound. Some people were like, I want the skills that he has. I want what's in his hand. I want to be able to do what he can do. I want to be able to play the guitar like that. I want to be able to do art like that. I, whatever. You need to be who God created you to be. You need to forget trying to be somebody else. And you're running around chasing after somebody else's anointing, and you need to have the anointing that God's given you, and you're trying to be a mouthpiece. And some of you are thinking, well, I want to be a preacher. I want to be able to do what he does. But trust me, some of you don't want to do what I'm doing up here. Okay? And if you're not called to do that, don't do it. Some of you want to be a singer. You want to be a worship leader. If that's not your sound for the love of God and all that's pure and holy, don't become a singer. You need to figure out what God has created you to do, and you need to do that. Don't try to dress like somebody else. I can't wear hats like Deej can wear hats. I need to wear the things that God has called me to wear. Because before you know it, you're just this boring potato that anybody can clone. And it fits in a bag with a bunch of other potatoes, and it doesn't stand out. You don't want to be a Mr. Potato Head. You want to be you. Amen? Be you, be you. Don't be a Mr. Potato Head in the name of Jesus. Because you're, you're God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works. A masterpiece is a unique picture. It's a portrait that, that it's, it's special. There's not one like it in all the earth, and that's what God said you are. Number three, when all else fails, are you getting something out of this? When all else fails, when you're struggling, and this is what happens to people. They get sidelined and they get sidetracked because they fall down because they make mistakes. You know what? Join the club. Join the club. One of the reasons that I'm standing here, one of the reasons some people are still serving God, going faithful, and you look at them and I want to be like that, is because of the point that I'm going to try to make right here. When all this fails and when you're struggling, do the right, do the right thing. This is my point to you. Just keep showing up. I love, I love the sign that's in a lot of the gyms. You know what I mean? Just like half the battle is just showing up. Some of you don't go to gym, so you don't know that's what it says. It says half the battle is just showing up. There's truth to that. There's a spiritual truth to that. Some of it is just showing up. I thought about my daddy's favorite verse in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16. It says, for though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again, but the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. Falling down is not what we think of when we think of righteous people, do we? When we think of a righteous person, we don't think of, we don't associate that with falling down, but that's what the Bible's saying in Proverbs 24, 16. A righteous person can fall seven times, but rise again. When we think of righteous people, we don't think of falling down ever, maybe once in a while. But not, so this word seven, as my dad would say, it's not the number after six that it's six or the number before eight. It's, it's God's perfect number. It's a number of completion. It's a number that's talking about maturing you. How will you grow is when you fall down, you get back up again. 
When you fall down, don't run away from God. Stay close to God. Know that actually he stays close to you because his mercies are new every morning. And if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And when you when you're feel like God's far away, the Bible says, even if you make your bed in hell, there he is. He's near to the brokenhearted and saves those that are crushed in spirit, the Bible says in Psalms 34. So when you fall down, you need to know he's right there with you. That gives you the ability to spring right back up. And I could have had a weeble wobble out of there if I wanted to. That's funny, I don't care what you say. <laughs> but I see many people walk away from God, walk away from the church, walk away from the Bible, walk away from the things that they once said they believed because they, instead of changing their behavior to conform to their beliefs, they change their beliefs to conform to their new behavior so they can feel better about themselves. But God wants you to not just feel better about yourself, he wants to change you from the inside out so you feel better about yourself. Because you're not going to feel better about yourself from keep on changing your beliefs to match your behavior. You're always going to feel better when you're living your convictions, when you're living in significance, when you're making a difference. Amen. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a big hand clap for that. Praise the Lord. Amen. Growth. Growth is not we never fall back. It's where we keep coming back. No matter how embarrassing, no matter how difficult, if you stay close to Jesus, he's going to lift you up. You will bounce back every time. That's the difference between a champion and a failure. And we don't seem to understand as Christians, those of us who've been in the church a long time and keep on you know, falling down and, and, and getting knocked down and things like that, we think the commodity of grace is specifically to be applied to salvation. In other words, I know I need grace to have eternal security. I believe believe in that. I wholeheartedly believe that it's by his grace that I'm eternally secure. And we apply eternity at the point of death when it's not at the point of death. It's at the point of relationship, which is another point altogether. But grace is supposed to be applied not just for eternal security and salvation. Grace, that same grace, gives you the power to overcome in this life. Amen. The same the same, the same God that raised Christ from the dead, the Bible said, dwells in you. Dwells in you. The same, the same one that helped him overcome in this life is the same one that helps you overcome in your life. The same power that conquered the grave lives in me as we sing in the song. His grace is sufficient when you're weak. His power is actually made perfect when you're weak. And so what do you do when you're weak? Just show up. Just show up. Keep going to church. Keep going to small group. Keep doing what you know is right to do because right choices will lead to right relationships, will lead to right responses, will lead to right attitudes, right behaviors. All those things follow your decisions. I think about Peter when he was um, eating the last meal with Jesus. We know it as the Passover. And Jesus said this to him. He said, the place that I'm getting ready to go to, you can't follow me there. Does anybody remember that? You can't follow me. And Peter does what Peter does. Peter steps up and he, and he basically says, oh, no, 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 I'll follow you basically to the ends of the earth. I'd even die for you, Jesus. That ain't going to happen. I, I got you. I'm with you. Anybody remember that? Yeah. It wasn't just a short time later. Jesus is being taken away. He's being arrested. And Peter is in shame and embarrassment, hiding away, hiding away. What's incredible is, well, it didn't take long, of course, for that testing, but you know, Jesus said something to Peter that I want to say to you. Whether you're 12 or 82 or somewhere in between, this is so powerful for you to hear this. Luke 22, 32, it says this. I think it's in your notes. Jesus said this to Peter, and, I, and I'm saying it to you. I'm saying it to the next generation as well. I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. 
Let's, sing, let's say that together. I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And then he says, and when you have turned back, because he spoke life over him, he said, you see where you're at right now? You're going to turn back. Because your faith is not going to fail you. You fell down, but you're going to be getting back up again pretty soon. Just, just, just when you do, make sure you tell your brothers about this. Make sure you strengthen the church with this, which he did. And if you're in faith, and if you're young in faith, you're going to hit some stuff that you could never imagine. I could never imagine some of the stuff that I faced in my life. Sometimes we're all a phone call or text away from some storm. You're either going into one, in one, or coming out of one. But we're all just a phone call or a text away from some kind of a storm. Some of the things that have happened are beyond words in my life. But his faith, the faith that, 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 that God has put inside me has not failed me. God has never left me nor forsaken me. He's always been there for me. He's been my foundation and my rock to pull me through these situations. And when you mess up. Yes, amen. When you might, you might miss it sometimes, I want you to know, your faith will not fail you. I speak that over you in Jesus' name. One time Jesus, one time Jesus gave Peter a pop quiz, and I'll conclude with this. He gave Peter this opportunity to answer some questions, and Peter came back with some of the popular responses. Who do people say that I am? You know, what's the talk of the town? And he said, well, some people say you're Elijah, and some people say you're, you know, you're, you're one of the prophets. Some people say this, some people say that. Jesus is the Peter, which is a question I believe he asks all of us, not just Peter. Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And Peter responds, you, you're, you're, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus said, you get it. You get it. Heaven and earth, you know, you, you couldn't get this. Flesh and blood couldn't reveal this to you. You know, only my Father in heaven could reveal that to you. This, upon this revelation which I think is key for us to know in this particular text, especially our Catholic brothers and sisters. But this, this was a revelation that he had. He says, I tell you that you are no longer, at this point, this was a name change. He said, you're no longer Simon. His name meant shifty and shaky uh, by definition. You're no longer shifty, shaky sand. Nope, I'm changing you from Simon to Peter, small rock. You're a rock, Peter. And on the rock, a different one, a big rock, confession, on this confession, this revelation of who I am, Peter, your, your name's changing. You're becoming a different person. Because of this revelation, you're new and you're different. But this revelation, the rock, confession of who Jesus really is, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not be able to overcome it. That truth must be passed down from one generation to another. And this generation that is before us has that responsibility. And though it is on the precipice of the greatest temptations ever, it is also on the greatest opportunity to see actually the whole world receive it. I want every student, every person from grade 6 up to like 30, I want you to stand to your feet. I want you to stand to your feet. If you're from like 6th grade to like the age of 30, I'm going to get in the Gen Ys on down. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. And, and, and I, 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 come, would you, church, would you show your love for these people that are in this room? Can we just show our love for this particular generation? Come on, show it like you mean it. We care about you. Thank you, God. Praise the Lord. Just, let's just close our eyes. Every head bowed, every eye closed. And those of you that are around them, you can just, just intercede for them. Even if you want to touch them with hands on them, you can. Don't freak them out. But just, just, just touch them. Not weird, but just touch them right. Okay. <laughs> I want to pray over these young people. I want to pray that something that Jesus told Peter. It, it, God, help them. It, it, 
I believe he's saying if you build your life on this revelation of who Jesus is, if you build your life on the rock of what he has called you to do, if you practice selective hearing, if you play your sound and you play it loud, if you keep on showing up and don't quit, then I believe the word of the Lord to you is then the gates of hell will not prevail against your life. The gates of hell will not prevail against your life. You will not fall. You will not falter. You will not fail. You will fall down, but you will get back up. You will bounce back up time after time after time. Hell hates us. When you're in church, he hates it. Hell hates you hearing this. But it really, but it really hurts him to see what he is doing in your life. And God has raised up you, this generation, to be strong. And we believe that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, that God has called you to do great and mighty things, that your best days are ahead in Jesus' name. Come on, church, agree with me. Your best days are ahead. And I pray that you show them, I feel the Holy Spirit saying, you show them their specific sound. Show them. Stop living in mediocrity. Stop living, cloning what the world and what culture is telling you to do and to be like, we're called to lead culture. We're called to be ahead of culture. We're called not to fit in, to be accepted. We're called to stand out, to help show people where they'll find acceptance. You are called to, uh, to, from, from the street to significance. God didn't call you out of the world to just put you in another seat and just sit sideline. He called you out of the world to do something significant through you. Ministries will be birthed because of God's words over your life as you accept them. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word. I pray that it would, it would come to pass, that it would be a prophetic word for many people in this room, that you are stirring up vision in their life. They see it by faith, and those that see it by faith, Lord, through faith and patience, they will inherit their promise and the plan of God for their life in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a big hand clap for what he is going to do in our midst. God bless you.